Hey, welcome to the Church Explained podcast, a conversation to develop your leadership and grow your church. Our goal in this podcast is to share inspirational insights and ideas to resource leaders, churches, and teams through a conversation with key team players at Icon Church and other guests. Today, we're joined by Claire Pedrick, and we're going to look at this idea of uh, coaching as a discipleship model. Hey, I'm Dave McKeown. And I'm Nathan Benger, and we are your hosts on the Church Explained podcast. Today, we're joined by Claire Pedrick, the managing partner of 3D Coaching, and whose mission is delivering and developing deep and simple coaching across the world. She's also the author of the book, Simplifying Coaching. It is a brilliant book, this one, and I highly recommend it. Hey, welcome, Claire, to the show. Uh, great to have you with us. We'd love just to find out a little bit about yourself and uh, your role within the coaching world, if that's okay. Well, that's quite a question, Dave. It's very good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so I've been a coach my whole career since the 1980s. Uh, so I started off as a teacher and I was a mission partner at a rural secondary school in Kenya uh, for two and a half years where I learned a lot about power that was given to you that you didn't deserve and all sorts of interesting things about the dynamics between people. So the school that I was working in was in the Kikuyu uh, area of Kenya. And uh, of course they were very badly impacted uh, through independence. And the story of independence depends on which side you're standing, whether you're standing on the British side or whether you're standing on the Kikuyu side. So that was really interesting. Uh, place to work. I then came back to the UK and got a job doing what was called then information and counselling, uh, really listening to and coaching and mentoring people who wanted themselves to work overseas in mission, in aid or in development. So I spent eight years doing that and never thought it was counselling never felt comfortable with the counselling word but it was the only word there was uh, and then I read an article about coaching uh, in the so I got some I got some training there wasn't much around then um, but the amazing thing is that that's led me to be one of the earliest coaches in the world I guess because I've been doing it for pretty much my whole career uh, and so strange things that have happened to us what I what I'll say to you now is not what I'd have said to you even a year ago so now I develop coaches across the world uh, to become really excellent at the way they have uh, conversations with people and I have colleagues who now work for 3D coaching uh, who do a huge amount of work in the church supporting people to have even better conversations using a kind of coaching style. Co coaching all over the place, really, as you say, because of lockdown. That's given you... <laughs> That'd be a great tagline. Yeah. <laughs> coaching all over the place. Yeah, you can do that on your website. That's free of charge, that one. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, so so as you say, so you've been coaching for a long time now, lots of experience. Um, you've done it, worked with different... Um, different people really as well, different organisations. Do, do you want to share a little bit about that and the different organisations you work with? Yeah, so we work across organisations, which is a really interesting journey for somebody who started out 
pretty much in the parachurch world. Uh, we then got a piece of work in 2003, I think it was, in the National Health Service. And we now do a huge amount of work in the NHS. We also work in business uh, and corporates, but that's not my personal preference. Um, I have colleagues who, who do that. But for me, personally, there's something about values and working with people who have common values. Um, and my colleagues do some great work in corporates as well. Right. So we work everywhere, as you say, everywhere with everyone. <laughs> everywhere. It's the new strap line. Um, you mentioned um, that like uh, the coaching language, uh, obviously counseling was the language, but you, that felt uncomfortable. The coaching language is fairly new language. But I guess there are quite a lot of um, different models of coaching out there now. How would you define coaching? There are so many there, Nathan. It's scary. <laughs> uh, and because it's coaching is a business. So there's a lot of stuff out there that is out there to generate money. So you, you create your coaching model and then you sell it globally. And I have some real ethical issues with that, actually. So she has written a book that's gone global. <laughs> but for me, all it is, is a conversation between two people about one of us, where the person it's about feels heard and gets new insights into their own stuff that moves them forward. So for me, the difference between coaching and counselling, for example, is that although they might look the same, in coaching there's a future focus thing, which is about what's happening and what are you going to do next. Whereas in counselling, there's often some attention that needs to be paid to something in the past that needs a bit of work in order for somebody to move forward. So future focused, optimistic, which of course really fits with, with faith. Um, and of course, if you look at the way Jesus had conversations with people, people felt heard and got new insights into their own stuff without him saying very much in what we read in the gospels. I mean, of course, we don't know what we don't read, what, what isn't in the gospels, but, but I think that Jesus had a real coaching style. Mm. Well, let, let's just pick up on that if we can mm. a little bit, because obviously one of the aspects we want to talk about today is um, can coaching be used as a model of discipleship? You know, mm. that's a big thing in the church at the minute. Discipleship, we really believe it's important to teach people, help them grow. So let's try and draw that out. Um, do we think that, that, you know, we think that's true? Can, can it be used as a model of discipleship coaching? Well, I think... <sighs> If we're going to talk about discipleship, I think we need to talk about power. So if a disciple is a follower, actually, I think that means a follower of Jesus. But I think that the models that we've used in the church over centuries have, have meant that discipleship is often a follower of the person who's forming you. And I think that that can create a dependent relationship where the, the disciple gives power to the leader. 
And actually, I don't think that discipleship and that that kind of dependency sit comfortably sit comfortably, I think, is about following. It's also about finding our calling and stepping out and 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 living the life that we're called to live. And that requires risk and um, and a level of agency where I take responsibility for my journey. Really interestingly, uh, I went to church yesterday in person on Sunday. And in the sermon, the guy was saying that Tony Campolo in the 90s wrote in a book that um, many people chose to uh, kind of live a simple life and get to dying without too much from 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 living to dying without taking time you know I think discipleship is about stepping out I think it's about it's about being brave and courageous and and stepping into the not knowing space and doing the things that we've been called to do by God and I think that coaching encourages us to do that uh, in a way that's amazing um, but I think that the culture of dependency that often happens in, in some churches actually makes that capacity to take risk and to follow and to fly and to flourish much more difficult. Well, it's a great, great word you've picked up on there, um, that word flourish. In fact, that's part of our uh, vision yeah. statement as a church, isn't it? Yeah. Do you want to just mention that? Just yeah, yeah. So obviously, as Icon Church, we have a a, a vision statement which says human flourishing, which is kind of if we broke it down, it would be uh, that people living their best life. And I guess for for us, we want to guide people to live their best life. Um, and uh, we, you know, we've kind of wrote down here that like Jesus asked around hundred and thirty five questions. Um, which kind of drip, drops into this, um, this uh, you know, uh, coaching, sorry, coaching model in terms of he's asking questions to get people to move forward in their life, as you were talking about, like taking risks and doing that. Mm. And um, would you see that as kind of like a role of a coach, uh, you know, like asking those questions that draw people to a, a greater life, a more flourishing life? There's so many things I want to respond to that, uh, Nathan, and I'm just looking for a little message on my phone, which gives a bit of insight into this that was sent to me the other day by a colleague, um, which I'm just going to find if I can. Uh, I can't find it. Um, I think the thing about Jesus is that if you go through the conversations that Jesus had with other people through the Gospels, almost always he left responsibility with them to pick it up so they have a conversation and then and then and then he goes take up your bed and walk or he 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 leaves the responsibility at the end with them to decide whether they choose to take it up or whether they choose not to take it up and i think that often in churches we think that in order for people to do that, we need to tell them what to do. And the challenge is you can't make meaning for somebody else. Mm. 
They can only make meaning for themselves. And that's true. That's visible in all the way through the Gospels. They make meaning for themselves. Jesus said, who do you think, who, who do you say that I am? He doesn't go, right, let me sit down. And let me just tell you some things. Who do you say that I am? So he leaves, he leaves the question with them. And there was an amazing um, little thing that my colleague sent me the other day, which isn't ours, but it's about an egg. And it says that, that for, there are two ways of breaking an egg. One is that you break it from the inside and, and the embryo comes out and flourishes and has life. And that's when it's broken from the inside. When it's broken from the outside, it, that's the end of the egg, really. You can use it to make a cake, but it doesn't flourish and have future life. And I think that's interesting in terms of making meaning, because I think that certainly in my experience of being brought up as a Christian and, and going through different churches through various stages of my life when I've lived in different places. I think there is a bit of a pressure or a belief or an assumption that we need to make meaning for others and then they'll take it. But they need to make meaning for themselves. And that's what Jesus did. Really good. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's pretty powerful that yeah. I think. Um, one of the issues we often face in churches is we're trying to solve everyone's problems. So someone may come to you as the leader and they expect you to have all the solutions where I think actually a better model is is to point them towards Jesus, mm. um, you know, and try and draw out the best of them mm. uh, really rather than trying to solve their problems. And I think that lends itself more to coaching um, and maybe just trying to, you know, distinguish between those two different styles of coaching or mentoring or whatever we want to call it today. As you say, one is more um, old style where people would go to the leader and they would look for all the answers. We're saying actually coaching is a better way to understand that is in the sense of someone coming and they get some insight into their lives, but we don't do the work for them. And I think that's a challenge because a lot of leaders want to do the work for someone. They yeah. want, we, we're almost so eager, we want to get them over the line. And, and that's sort of a passion to help them. But sometimes that's the mistake, isn't it? Where we yeah. try and help someone to get over the line, but actually uh, we're doing the work for them rather than them doing the work themselves. Yes. And it looks like it's had an impact but as you're talking i'm thinking about um the parable of the sower you know there's something isn't there about really wanting things to grow but actually people grow when their roots go deep and their roots go deep when they made their own meaning and one of the issues about giving people solutions is that what we're actually saying is because I don't think you can do this yourself. And that is deeply disempowering. And although we might like it. So I say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Tell me. And you tell me. If it doesn't work, then I go, well, Pastor Dave. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Pastor Nathan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Pastor Nathan. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah, so it's, it, I think it's a real challenge because I think in the church, there is something about performance, which is how do we measure whether we're doing something that we should be doing? And, and green shoots is a, is a good measure. But that doesn't mean that, that they're people who will grow. And I think people grow when they take responsibility. And I think that's what we need to really learn from the Gospels. Do you, do you think that's a, a challenge for, I'm even just thinking of myself, who when you grow, grow up or you become a leader, you become a leader because uh, many times you solve problems. Um, and, you know, it, and it's not always people's problems you know, problems, but you solve problems and you, you do things and you say, right, let's do this this way. And, you know, you kind of get responsibility because you've solved a problem or you've been given a responsibility and you've had to solve problems. Do we do that then? Does that, is that one of the challenges for, you know, church leaders, uh, people in church with responsibility that actually we think we've got to solve everybody's problems? I think that's a huge issue. And the more that happens, the more the power differential between you and everybody else gets bigger. And if this is about a community of followers of Jesus, then actually that as much as, as, as we need leaders, we also, we need people to be traveling together. So I like the idea of, um, well, actually it's in the Bible. If you, if you read that passage about Jesus on the Emmaus road, traveling with his friends, they walk together. He doesn't tell them a lot of things. He listens, he helps them to make meaning and they travel together. And he's with them, kind of next to them as they walk. And I think one of the issues about leaders, about fixing leaders, is you get too far ahead of the people that are traveling with you. And then, and then you become, I mean, it's interesting, your church is called Icon, because the word that comes to me is you become an icon, you become a guru. And actually, we're following Jesus. We're not following the leader of the church. And, and so I, I mean, I think the church is amazing. And I think also, you know, 2000 years after Jesus died, you know, we've still got communities globally of people following Jesus, who are disciples of Jesus, and it's that is just phenomenal. And I think there's always more to learn. Yeah, just just picking up on that a little bit, Claire. I think um, I think in one sense it's it's good if people are disciples of Jesus. They're not necessarily our disciples, you know. That and and I think that's the difference there, isn't it? Because. Mm. Uh, if people are our disciples in the sense, then that's where you get the problem with the power differential there. But if they're disciples of Jesus, well, there can be that, uh, you know, unequalness of power in that sort of sense because Jesus is who he is. So they're following him. They're relying on him. Um, that's very different than a leader, though, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. So it's interesting just to pick that up as well uh, from that point of view. Yeah, and I think there's something about the about leadership that says actually what's the least that I need to do in order to facilitate the journey of these people with Jesus? And and how do you travel with them? So for example, if I come to you and I say, tell me what I should do about this, 
and you tell me next time I'm not equipped to make that decision and I need to come back to you and I need to ask you again. So for example, we moved, as you well know, Dave, we moved, we left a house six months ago and uh, are finally in our new destination. And actually we needed to work out under God where we needed to be and what that needed to be like. And actually what we know is, what we believe is, that we're called to be in this new place three hours away from where we lived before. And we don't know why. We don't know why we're here and we don't know what it is that we're going to do now we're here, but we're here. Now, that courage, and I'm not, I'm not kind of blowing courage trumpet, but I'm just thinking that that level of courage has come from learning to be in churches, but also to recognize that it's my, uh, my journey under God, his, my husband's journey under God, our journey under God, and that there's discernment that we, we need to learn how to discern. We need to learn how to make good decisions and, and we need to learn how to make mistakes. Um, and we need to learn how to fall over and pick ourselves up again. Yeah, now that's really good. I was just going to ask. So, if I'm, a, you know, just thinking of people who are listening, how do we, how do we help people to do that? You know, uh, how do we help people to be able to discern, to be able to, you know, have that courage? How, how can we kind of coach people to actually living their best life? I think you facilitate them thinking. And I think there are lots of ways of doing that. So for example, um, sometimes people just don't know, do they? They just don't know how to make a decision. So if you said to me, I'm just wondering uh, whether God might be calling me some, somewhere else, I might say to you, is it useful if we think about what we know about how God calls people. How do you, how, you know, how, how's God called you before, Nathan? And then I might say, is it useful for you to, for me to just say a little bit about what happened for us? So this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And then to say to you, so, so in terms of that, what are you learning about discernment? But actually for me to say to you, I think God's calling you to do this isn't, Number one isn't teaching you to discern for yourself. It's number two, it's teaching you to follow me. And number three, it's really big risk for everybody. So I might say to you, you know, as I hear you talking, I wonder whether, have you thought about, which is a different kind of discernment, which is the same thing, but it sounds different and it leaves responsibility with other people. But I think, I think there are two things that the church needs to do better. One is leaders need to talk about the fact they're disciples too. And I know that's an assumption, but I don't hear it very often. So leaders need to say, I'm learning, I'm falling over, I'm making mistakes. Um, and what I learned this week was this, or what I learned this last week was this. And I think also we need to travel with people 
and and let them make mistakes and and support them as they build from that brilliant claire so just a listen a couple more questions that we just want to try and draw out um what what do you think are the most significant challenges that church leaders face we've covered a little bit i think when it comes to coaching what you know like if a leader is coaching and helping others what are the challenges they face do you think well <laughs> one challenge is that if you and i are having a conversation and i really want you to tell me what to do and you really want to tell me what to do it's quite difficult to step back from that and to facilitate the other person to process so I think that's a pressure. I think there's also a pressure if that's the way you were formed as a human being, as a Christian and as a leader, it takes quite a significant amount of courage to do something slightly different. And I think one of the things that I notice in, in ministerial, in the training of ministers that I've seen across denominations and in non-denominational churches, is that often there's a model, a pastoral model, that says people are broken. But actually, there's another theological model that says, you know, we're all sinners and Christ died for us, absolutely. And we're all made in the image of God. So your thing, Nathan, about flourishing, you know, where do you sit on that continuum? Because if you sit on the pastoral view is actually we're all sinners and Christ died for us absolutely but what that does is it keeps people quite static whereas the other model you know Jesus said I've come that you can have life in all its fullness <laughs> and that's what flourishing is isn't it and actually that's about really encouraging people to step out and step up it's really interesting because we found ourselves in a church that's very different from the church that we left. And one of the things that I really notice is that the church here is just bonkers about stepping out and doing stuff. As in, people will just do it and then they'll come and they'll share it on Sunday. I did this and they've been sharing it on Zoom. I did this and I did that and I did the other. Whereas the church we've come from was very cautious. And it's interesting to notice when you move from one culture to another, you know, you notice culture very, a lot, don't you, in the first few weeks and months, is how significantly different the, the pastoral, you know, life's difficult for everybody, you know, let's care for each other, is from the, you know, let's just try some stuff out, see what happens. Um, and that courage is really demonstrated, I think, in different ways in different cultures. And part of that's about control. Yeah, no, that's really good. And uh, you um, picking up on the different kind of cultures and the different um, ways we lead church is really important in terms of the way that people uh, respond or the way that people live out their lives. Uh, I think is a uh, is like a key takeaway for somebody who's listening to this. What what other steps could leaders take? Uh, like, should they wish to become a better coach, better leader? What are some other steps that they could take? Listen, 
like really less listen rather than listening to say something and I think in many churches what happens is people listen to share the gospel so you're so you're with somebody and you're and you're actually so as much as you're listening you're also listening for the hook of where you can share the gospel and what that means is you're not listening as deeply as you could be so I would say listen stop talking and and facilitate other people to to travel their journey as a disciple and that will take courage for you as a leader because there's a bit less control yeah i like that claire i mean one of the phrases um that you use that obviously i've been in some of the coaching um I want to say classes. I don't want to call them classes, but <laughs> some of the coaching training with yourself. And one of the key things that you often say is uh, when we're with people, do observe and don't diagnose. And I think that's a key thing mm. as well. Just coming back to that idea of listening, because so often we can be with people and we're trying to diagnose what the issue is mm. and we're trying to give them the solution rather than truly listening and letting them ask the right questions and getting to the right insights themselves. And I think that's key really mm. as well. Maybe that's something that leaders could take away if they're listening to this Definitely. or watching this. Yeah. They could think, okay, well, maybe I'm just going to listen and observe rather than diagnose. Do you want to say anything on that? Yeah, I think it's about yeah. saying what you see. So I had a conversation with a friend last week or the week before, and she said, I don't know what to do. So she was talking about a, a difficult work decision and she said, I don't know what to do. And I said to her, I haven't seen you for weeks. And when we met by the fountain to go for our socially distanced walk, you didn't say hello. You just told me how stressed and unhappy you were. And I wonder whether that's telling you something. So that's a really good example of noticing and not diagnosing. Because she's that's not her nature. Her nature is to go, hello, how are you? <laughs> and she just went, Neh! So to tell her that, and she went, did I not say hello? And I went, well, that's not a criticism. It's just, a, a, you know, it's an observation of how full up you are with this decision. And then I said, have you already decided? And she went, yeah, I have. Whereas actually often we go, do you know what I think you should do is I think you should give it another week. And then I think you should do this. And then I think you should talk to your line manager. And then I think you should do the other. But that, that doesn't give credit to what people have done already. That's a kind of taking over. It's saying, just get out of the way. I'm going to tell you what to do. We need to be more in partnership. You know, in the Bible, it talks about partnership in the gospel. Partnership is about people traveling together, not one person telling the other person what to do. And I know that is not the intention of church leaders, but I also know that that's often how it is experienced by others. So I think that's a great... It, no, it's good. Yeah, it, it is controversial, but it's good because I think the bottom line is if um, leaders hear this and they take a different approach in the sense of 
listening and observing rather than diagnosing, actually they'll save themselves a lot of hassle, won't they, mm-hmm. going in the future? Mm-hmm. Where rather than people coming in and saying, well, Pastor Nathan, I'm picking on Nathan now, <laughs> you, you told me to do this and it didn't work out, it's your fault. That's really what they're thinking deep down. <laughs> uh, but the other model is actually we listened, we went along together, but you made the decision. And I think that's much more freeing for the leader and for the leader's health, I think, as yeah. well. Yeah, definitely. And and also, like even you just said, like, you know, a little bit controversial, it helps us as leaders to think. Yeah. Because many times we just get in the doing yeah. and we're just in the flow of what we've always done. But, you know, the great thing is to then take stock and to think about how am I leading? How am I doing this? And, you know, because we're not doing anything out of a place of, you know, a bad place, but actually it's good at times just to look back and go, okay, is this my tendency or is this my tendency? And can I do this better to improve myself? Mm. So, yeah. Wonderful. Clara, any final words to um, anyone listening today? What advice? I mean, obviously a mix of leaders who'll probably listen to this podcast, Mm. all sorts of people from all over the world probably uh, listening, what advice would you give to them in your last final words? I think when you say less and listen more, you notice God in the conversation much more. So the very last line of my book says take off your shoes actually if you want to if you're getting people to do less of the work but what I notice in with with people of faith is that they start off by going this is a real business model I don't like it and then at the end they go my goodness it's much easier to discern when people are saying less and it's also much easier to notice God in the moment in the room speaking when you say to somebody, did something just happen there? Which is a question, rather than I think God's telling you this. Because it's exactly the same. It's, it's, it's observing the same thing, but it's doing it in a slightly different way. So my final advice is take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. And it's the place you're standing together. So how do we have that real deep respect with people where we demonstrate a belief that they're robust enough to deal with their own stuff? Because Jesus did that. Great. Great. Well, that's it for this episode. I want to thank Claire for being with us today. And it's been so good to have Claire talking around this idea of coaching uh, and uh, discipleship as well. And if uh, you want to find more about what Claire does, then you can check out the company website at 3dcoaching.com. And uh, I went on earlier and there's some great stuff on there. So uh, uh, again, thank you, Claire. And for anyone who's watching, please check out icon.church forward slash open. We've got loads of resources on there. And wherever you're consuming this content, please like, subscribe, rate it, share it with people who it would really benefit. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time on the Church Explained podcast. We'll see you soon.